I invite you to turn with me to James chapter 4, where we just read. So would you turn to James chapter 4? You, if you came in and grabbed a bulletin, you can see in the back sheet, the back side of it, an opportunity to use, kind of to take notes this morning. So we'll be in James 4. We're going to look through verses 1 through 12 in our message this morning. We're continuing on a series in the letter of James, which week after week, chapter after chapter, goes at the very heart of Christianity and goes at hypocrisy and hits us where we really are. There's a saying that goes like this, being a pastor would be easy if it weren't for all the people. Maybe we could say parenting wouldn't be easy if it weren't for kids. Work wouldn't be easy if it wasn't for all the difficult people to deal with. But friends, we live in a world with people problems. If you haven't had them, you either are not old enough or not paying attention. The first marriage in the world, Adam and Eve, they had people problems. And we find by chapter 3 of the Bible, husband blaming wife and wife tempting the husband. We find the first sibling in the world, son number one, kills son number two out of envious rage. And the first family of the Bible, not literal family, but the family that is to be the people of God, this family has 12 sons and the 12 tribes of God's chosen people, jealous of son number 11, Joshua, Joseph, and they almost kill him and they sell him into slavery out of hatred and envy. My guess is that you have people problems because you come, and, and you do because you come from the same human line with the same sinful nature that leads to a lot of people problems. It might be in your marriage, and it, you will have people problems in your marriage. You will have it with your children and with your parents. You will not outgrow those problems and, I should say, difficulties, even because you become an adult. In fact, they'll take on all different kinds of layers. Maybe it's your friends and your siblings that you feel those problems most at work, or your co-workers, or your classmates, or your teachers. The problem may not seem that big to you, but I want to ask you to take a second look this morning. Do you avoid conflict at any cost or far too often to make peace in relationships? When there's really war going on. How has that worked out in your life? Do you try to fix problems? Are you a fixer? And you, you find a problem in marriage or in parenting or with people. And it is your goal to make them better. And to get them to conform to you. Because you know what's best. I wonder how that's going for you. Do you reg regularly run from a situation any conflict, any difficulties, you just run from it because it's so frustrating. You escape to social media or to alcohol or to hobbies or to other pleasures. Are you frustrated because your needs aren't met in that relationship? And you're, you're angry, you're bitter, you're annoyed. 
You're tired of it. You're ticked. Has your desires, natural desires, for love and a happy life and peace and comfort, feeling secure, feeling appreciated, and the approval of others, have they over time, or maybe they started this way, those desires, natural, become demands or what you would almost become called needs. I need these things. Things that you feel you actually deserve and you're angry, hurt, discouraged, and frustrated if people don't give you those things. Now, James writes to a church because he knew there were people problems. And he addresses it in a very blunt and powerful way in chapter 4 of James. James 4 speaks of our people problems and the grace of God. And I, I have five points that I want to progressively walk through the text with you about them. And I'm going to just state them to you. You have them in your notes here if you have your sheet. I want to show you that this text gives at least these truths. We have a relationship problem, number one, or we have relationship problems. And two, we have praying problems. And three, we have allegiance problems. Who? Problems, problems, problems. Four, we have a God who gives grace to the humble. So we must humble, number five, so we must humble ourselves before this gracious God. Number one, we have a relationship. We have relationship problems. Look at verses one and two of James chapter four. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions, that is, that word means pleasures, but self-indulgent pleasures are at war within you. He had just said in chapter 3 at the end that the wisdom of this world is all full. It's not a real wisdom. It's full of selfish ambition and jealousy and envy. And here he says, they are filled. He says, these things are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder and you covet, and you take and steal. What causes quarrels among you? I wonder if I were to divide, if you have a fight going on in your home right now, within your relationships, your deepest relationships, and if you came to me, would you? if I came to you about your problems, I wonder if you'd be like, sometimes my children, I'm sure I do the same, I know I do the same thing, What's going on? And they'll say, he did this. He is so frustrating. You can't believe how she responds to this. She is so easily irritated. I, she can't even take a joke. And I wonder in your relationships, as you think about all your relationships, what is the cause of the division in your marriage or in your extended family? or in your workplace, or between your siblings, or with your parents, or whatever it is, or within this church, when there's grudges or frustrations, or I just stay away from that person because she, 
I just can't stand her. He says there is a cause. He says, what causes these things? Your desires. Your desires. Not someone else's, your pleasures that you are being driven by. Unless our desires are renewed and saved, in a sense, by God's grace, redeemed, our desires are full of pride and selfishness, the Scripture says. We believe that we should be central to our lives. We want to be the king of our own kingdoms. We have desires and they become, not only do I desire something like love and respect and appreciation, I think I deserve them. I deserve them. I'll tell you what, we deserve the judgment of God. We receive the grace of God. I, we think I deserve them, and with deserving, I, I make demands, at least in my heart, and I will have expectations now that you will treat me this way, and I should be responded this way, and if I don't get my way, I will punish either through the silent treatment or through angry words or bitterness or accusations. We believe that others should approve of us and care for us in ways that we say. We believe we should be listened to and accepted. Not only do we desire it, we think we deserve it. We punish with fighting and aggression, either through passive aggressiveness, sarcasm, ignoring someone, or active aggression. James had just said in chapter 3, verse 16, where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you will find disorder in every evil practice. Paul will write to the Corinthians who are full of divisions and problems within each other, with, amongst each other, and he says, Friends, love is patient. Love does not envy. It is not proud or boastful. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And Paul to the Philippians will write to them and say, when he's going to say, be like Jesus, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, count others above yourselves. Look not, on, not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You see, bitter, selfish spirit, I've said this in the past, I'm going to say it again, sin, which is in every one of us, is its middle letter, I. Grew up hearing this word, me, myself, and I is the center of my universe far too often. And James is going to say, what causes you have relationship problems? And you have relationship problems because... You have a sin problem. You have a desire problem. You want to be centered. And because of that, you have issues and quarrels here. Even to the end of this chapter, he's going to say, or at the end of this passage in 11 and 12, he's going to say, it leads you to speak evil of one another. He had said that in chapter 2. Your evil tongue, you bless people and you curse them. And it's because from the heart, you are the center of the world. Rather than Jesus who has saved you mercifully, and even when he puts you in front of difficult people, he intends to use that to grow you and for you to be like Christ, 
which is a miracle that he does in our hearts, rooting out selfishness. At James 4.11, he's going to say, you speak evil against one another, brothers. You accuse one another. You judge one another. And don't you know that he is the judge? Why do you judge like that? So we have people problems. And he says, now, is this a separate subject? He says we have praying problems, number two. We have praying problems. Because right in verse, chap- verse 2, in the middle of that passage, he jumps almost into another subject per se. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And almost all translations and all commentaries understand this to mean he is now talking about prayer. You do, you do not have because you do not ask God. And then he set, continues that frame of thought in verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That's the same concept, because of your selfishness. You ask wrongly. You, another translation, you ask with wrong motives to spend it on your passions. So why does he bring it up here? Is he just changing the subject? Do you have relationship problems? Now we move to prayer? No, I think there's a connection. He does say you have a praying problem. He wants us to ask him when we get in trouble. When you have a marriage problem, when you have a people problem of any kind, it should be our first response to say, Oh God, I need your help. Oh God, I am not up to the task of dealing with my relationship problems rightly because the reality is, I need you to help me see that I am far too often the biggest contributor of my people problem. So, oh God, please help me. In fact, he started this letter, James 1, this way. Remember James 1, I think it's in verse 5 when he says, if any of you lack wisdom, this was in temptations and trials. He says, you're going to go through trials. Now, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously And without reproach, and it will be given him. He's saying, you're going through hardships, including relationship hardships. Let him ask God. Because I had to tell you, you and I do not have the wisdom from God that just comes naturally and just oozes out of our sinful nature. Instead, we need God, and that is how he intended it to be. He wants us to be dependent reliant creatures on him every moment of our existence. And in so doing, we grow to know this God. And he's saying, you have a problem here. You go through these trials and it's really you're selfish. Your your passions are at war with each other. You both are selfishly lashing out. And reality is you want, you want, you want. You're the own center of your own world. And you should be on your knees asking me. Because you need what only I can give you. I love the song by John Newton. We don't sing it because it's in a different tune that we haven't sung. But come my soul. He says, my soul prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid us pray. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions and prayer requests let us bring. For his grace and power are such none can ever ask 
too much. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And he says, For which? He said, and then he says, For what father, if he has a son, if the son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? He, hardly. No, his father will give him something that's good for him. How much more does your heaven, you being evil, give good gifts to your children? How much more does your heavenly father love to give good gifts to those who ask him? He says, ask. Friends, as you enter and think about your people and relationship problems, let us get on our knees and ask God for help and for wisdom and for care. But he says that this praying problem goes beyond just that they don't, they're, the prayerlessness. They don't pray. And I wonder if you pray. Maybe you say, I do pray. He says, some of you do pray, but you're praying really selfishly. You pray wrongly to spend it on your passion. You are praying, but you're, not, you're saying, in a sense, God, give me this. Would you fix my brother? My brother is the problem. Would you fix my marriage? Because she sure needs to straighten up. Would you straighten that up? And we do it because we say, because I want comfort, because I'm tired of this, because I want and I deserve to be approved of and appreciated like I'm not being appreciated. I need to be listened to like I'm not being listened to. I need, I need, I need. And he's saying, you pray with selfishness as your motives. We need to learn to pray like we prayed this morning whether you felt it emotionally or not, because you probably just read it, and you might go, is that praying? Our Father in heaven. Oh, Father. Jesus taught us this in Matthew 6 to teach us the priorities of prayer in all of our lives. Your name be hallowed, not my name, God. God, I am so prone to want to lift myself up in even a relationship or in any circumstances, but God, through these difficult situations and people, may your name be hallowed. God, I'm going through this difficulty with people that are really frustrating in the, on the surface. God, you're in control. God, this is an opportunity for me to show you off. Please hallow your name, not my name. God, in this difficult situation, help me to not make as my goal my comfort or relief from this problem as my primary purpose, but that I would grow to be like you and your will would be done in my own heart as it is in heaven. Give me this daily bread so that I will glorify you. But Paul is saying that far too often, guilty, all of us, can be that we pray because we just want to be more comfortable we want Jesus to fix people, fix our finances, fix our lives. Why? So that he'll fix them to make, make them better so that we'll be more comfortable, more financially secure, more carefree and well, so that we can be the center of our own lives. Jesus will not do that, friends. He loves us far too much to let us think that it could be okay for us to be the center of it all. We were not meant to be the object of worship, the object of 
the purpose of these things? Jesus is. We often want Jesus to be our own spiritual vending machine where we use prayer as putting in the coins of God and say, you need to deliver to us because we are praying to you what we want. You need to deliver to us what we want. And we do this with selfish ambition. We want Jesus to come so that we can live for our idols. Jesus says, ask and seek and knock. But he tells us to do it. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. What if our prayer lives in our difficult relationships change? That one, we pray, and two, we pray with his priorities. God, my first goal in this mess that I'm in with this person is for you to help me to obey you so that I'll please you and I will love you more and that my heart wouldn't be so attached to me, but that this person that I think is the made, if you think he's the problem or she's the problem, this person would find you in this. God, help me to pray with that motive. So we have relationship problems and we have praying problems. You see, all of this is because we have allegiance problems. Look at verses 4 and 5. We have allegiance problems. Now, James, listen to James, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that your friendship, that friendship with the world, by which when he says the world, he just doesn't mean anybody out there. He means the system of the world that makes you the center it means the world that would want to just draw you away from a love for God. Not talking about just people out there. The, your friendship with that which is against God is enmity with God. Therefore, who wish, whoever wishes to be friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. What he's, I mean, these are harsh words from Pastor James. You adulterous people. It's like, please don't mince words, James. Why don't you just tell us what you really think? This is language of the Old Testament. These, God's people left God and they went after false idols. They were being spiritual whores is what the Old Testament says. They're prostitution to other idols. You spiritual whores is what he is saying. You are running, when you are living for yourself, you are committing adultery. You are, when God saved you, he covenantally brought you as his lover. As he, God brought you and made a covenant with you and has loved you and has calls you to a loyalty and devotion, and when you run after the world and the things of this world, your own ambitions and greed and your, your way, you are running after wrong allegiances. To be a friend of the world is to be an en enemy with God. Oh, we must not mess with this God. The last thing you want to be is considered in the category of enemy of God. And he says, if you are in a place where the friendship of the world, that which 
you find the world the source of your comfort and your security, the source of your significance. If the world which is drawing you to make you a priority rather than God, and that your name is more important than God's name, this mindset and priority of the world is complete war with God. Is that true with you? I think James is writing to a church, to Christians, because he knows these Christians, some of them have been drifting away, and he's saying, wake up. You are saved, but you need to realize that you have found yourself drifting into this enemy-like relationship with God. How can you do this? Don't you realize what you're doing? And it's and your just normal relationships that are a mess is, is just exposing that it's, there's a deeper problem. It's an allegiance problem. You are meant to be surrendered and fully loyal to the lover of your life who gave himself for you on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've gone on and you forgot about it and you're living for other things. This is a theme. And when he says here at the end of this passage, verse 5, as it says, the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that, God, that he has made to dwell in us. I believe he's saying the, the testimony of the Old Testament is a picture of God, the covenant God saying, I love my people Israel. I have, I have brought them out of slavery from Egypt. I love my church. I brought them out of their sin that they were dead in and I brought them into Christ. I yearn jealously for them. They will be my lovers, my people. They will be surrendered to me. And that is the greatest thing for them. And I will not let them go. Just as we would say there is a righteous jealousy among a marriage where we would not allow our spouses to just go off and have sexual relations with others. And we would think that's just disgusting and wrong and dishonoring to any marriage, to any spouse. So God says, when we live this way, with God not at our center, but ourselves, prayerless or selfish in our prayers, and exposed by the way we treat each other with selfishness, we are committing spiritual adultery to our God who loved us and gave himself for us and is committed to us to the end. Which leads us to number four. Though we have all these problems, relationship problems and prayer problems, and we have big time allegiance problems in our hearts. We have a God who gives grace to the humble. Look at verse six. But he gives more grace. Amen. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Friends, we need this verse in the middle of this. We should be beaten up already by, this, by the verses before, and rightfully so, because God, he afflicts us in order to heal us. And here in verse 6, he says in a sense, but God gives greater grace than all of these problems that you have. Yes, we have a people and a praying and allegiance problems, but we have a God who gives more grace. 
And in Exodus chapter 34, God was really concerned about the, his jealousy for a rebelling people who had taken, God had just delivered Israel from Egypt. And now they make this golden calf and they worship it. They're so impatient. They're running to other idols. And God is jealous for them. And he was going to punish them. And Moses stands in between. And God reveals his name to Moses and says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He keeps steadfast love and thousands. And he forgives iniquity and transgressions of sins. Oh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But do you see, he says he gives grace to some. He gives grace to who? To the humble. Who are the humble? To those who confess their sins and run to him for mercy. To those who fall down at his feet and admit they have need. To those who recognize that they are selfish, that they are often envious, that they often raise, rise up and they exalt themselves and they take their desires and they make them, I deserve and I need, and if you don't give that to me, I will punish you. God gives grace to the humble that admit they're so messed up that they can't do it alone. They need a Savior. Remember the story in Luke 18 where a Pharisee, a great religious man, and a wicked tax collector, they stand praying, and that Pharisee is so full of himself and thankful for himself of how great he is as he prays to God. God, thank you. Well, I don't know what I'm thanking you for almost, he's saying, because I'm, I'm a contrib contribution to you, God, I guess, is almost his attitude. And this wicked tax collector that everyone in society would say they're bad. He falls down and cannot even look up to God and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said to the crowd and astonished them when he said, I tell you, this man went to the house, his house justified. Friends, the good news, and if you're here this morning, and you're not a friend of God but an enemy because he is not your ruling centrality of your life because you've never surrendered to him and been saved. He calls you to surrender to him fully and he will save you if you will humble yourself and come to him. And if you will, with all your heart, ask him to save you from your sins and forgive you and to be your Savior and Lord and ask Him to help you follow Him. He promises to do that and He will give you a new heart. In fact, if you want to do that and if you ask Him to do that, He is giving you a new heart right as you speak because it is His Spirit that is at work in you. And friends, if brothers and sisters in Christ, this passage is a call to Christians. A call that says he gives grace to the humble. You, you want to start making progress with this people problem? Start with yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. Friends, your sins are great. But your Savior is greater. And he gives grace. Or I, I love what Ray Ortland says. Jesus is better at saving than we are at sinning. I'll say that again. Jesus is better at saving us than we are at sinning. 
And because of that, we have hope that his grace is greater. Grace is, I do not deserve it, but he's going to give it to me anyways because it's a gift. Amazing grace. Sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. Right now we're praying for Tim Hagen who had heart surgery this last week and I ask you to pray for Tim. Last Sunday we were outdoors. He was there for the service, came up afterwards and he said, we talked about it, we prayed together. We talked about his faith. I said, Tim, are you ready if, if the Lord takes you and you die? Because this is pretty risky. Are you ready to be with the Lord? He said, yes. And he said, it's all because of his grace. I, he says, I am so amazed that he would save me. It does, I don't, that doesn't even make sense to me and yet it's real and I believe it. Oh, that is, that must be the heartbeat of the believer. He gives grace to the humble, which leads us to the final point. Five, so we must humble ourselves before a gracious God. And that's what verses 7 through 10 is about. A, a humbling of ourselves before a gracious God. Look at, look at these verses. So if you find yourself bruised and convicted... I hope we all do, by God's grace, about our people problem and our praying problems and our allegiance problems, and we need the God's grace, let's look and humble ourselves. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will be exalted. There's at least 10 commands in these verses. There's at least 10 commands as he lists them. He says things like submit and resist and draw near and cleanse and purify and be wretched and be and mourn and let your laughter and let your mourning and humble yourselves. I just want to reduce them to three. This passage says that you are to humble yourself before the Lord by, by one, recommitting your allegiance to God. Your problems with people is an allegiance to God problem. Your praying problems are, is a problem of allegiance to God. Recommit your allegiance to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, he says. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That this idea is to place yourself under his lordship. He's lord of your life. He's the master, not you. Oh God, today I ask that you would forgive me. You, you, not me, must be the center. Your will be done, not my will be done. Even in this hard people relationship. God, don't ignore his word. Embrace them as gifts from a loving king who calls you. Recognize there's a war that's going on with the devil. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, it's the devil that wants to provoke you to anger and selfishness. The devil's job is to drive you apart from God. He does not want you to submit to God, to trust in him, and to see that God is actually really good. And out. Here's the thing is, God will glorify himself in your life. But God is out for your best interest. And the devil does not want you to think that. Just like he didn't want Eve to believe that God's command of the not eating of the tree was in their best interest. 
Oh, no, it looks good. Take it. You deserve it. No, he does that countless times in our lives. We should just gossip. We should just get back. We deserve to be bitter. We deserve to be angry. We deserve to give the silent treatment. We should not forgive. Oh, how foolish it is. Because our bitterness is like trying to drink poison and hoping someone else will die because we drank it. Recommit our allegiance to God. That, might be, that means young people. It means you want me to obey my parents and honor them and listen to them. That's what it means to submit yourself to God. It means to obey God and wives respecting their husbands and honoring and submitting to them and husbands loving their wives and not being harsh with them and loving and patient and living with them in an understanding way. Parents, fathers not provoking their children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It means a submitting to one another out of fear of Christ. It means engaging in the body of Christ and caring for one another week after week and gathering. It means giving and caring for your neighbors and taking spiritual leadership in your home if you're parents. And accountability, it means accountability regarding pornography or the use of your money or time and lust that you fail, you, you fight against. Recommit yourself in allegiance to God. But it also means... Number two, running into the arms of the Father. This passage doesn't say, clean yourself all up and then go to God. Have you felt that way? When you feel so distant from God, you know that you're a problem and you know that you're selfish and you know you have issues. How could God ever accept you? And here he says, verse 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Don't wait to get all cleaned up and think that when you get cleaned up and you have some, a waiting period, then God will accept you. No. He, does, he says, come and I will give you rest. My heart is lowly, gentle, and gracious. We're going to sing this song in just a few minutes. We're going to sing these words to each other. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. Jesus says that if I'm weak... I should come to him. Jesus says that if I fear, I should come to him. Jesus says if I'm lost, I should come to him. This is what we should say. If Jesus says if I sin, I should come to him. I draw near to him. And we're going to sing this chorus. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus who is strong and kind. He is strong to meet our needs and he is kind to receive rebellious allegiance problem people who are fighting against God and we surrender ourselves and he will draw near to us. Lastly, he says it in many ways, but he says we need to do this, this humbling before God. By repenting and lamenting of our sins. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Admit your sins. Confess them to God and others. 
We live in a culture that says, let's all avoid all negative feelings about ourselves. That would be bad. No, he says, you need to mourn over your sins, but then run to a Savior who forgives. 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Whoever conceals his transgression or sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy, Proverbs 28 says. Oh, let us, in our relationships, in the church and in home and at work or where, school or wherever it is, let us confess that far too often our selfishness and pride that is war within us is the problem, not the other person. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Tim Keller writes, if each spouse says to the other, I will treat my selfishness as the main problem in the marriage, you have a prospect of great things. And so if each person in a church said of everyone in their relationship, I will treat my selfishness as any main problem in our relationship, we would be in a really good place, a humble place, a place where God gives grace. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And I want to invite you to listen to a parallel passage in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. James is going to say, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. You don't need to exalt yourself in relationships. He'll do that. You humble yourself before the Lord. And Peter says to us, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, for He cares for you. you got anxieties about your relationships? Cast them on the Lord, and that's a way you humble yourselves. You can't carry it. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, in the faith that he, his grace is better, knowing the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever amen let's pray father the world desperately needs to see people that have been changed by you and by your grace and because of your grace i pray that you will help us to humble ourselves and draw near to you submitting to you and resisting the devil with your grace. Oh God, I pray that we would be saved in the midst of our people problems and praying problems and allegiance problems with your grace and humble ourselves. I pray for children with their parents this morning. I pray for parents with their children. I pray for adult relationships within families where things have grown cold and distant and dark. I pray for bitterness that has been in, extended and exchanged
for many years. And I pray that you would bring freedom and grace because you give more grace. I pray that you would be with any relationships in this church where there is division and hostility and animosity and you would give more grace. I pray in marriages where there is hurt that has been spoken or unspoken that you would bring healing through your grace that is found in this passage. All of this must come from you, and I pray that you'd give it. Help us as we sing this song about Jesus being strong and kind, and we need to run to him at all times. Minister to our hearts as we conclude this service with this song. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.